Welcome to the Young ABA Podcast. I'm James. This is Pete. G'day, everyone. It is the 5th of November. This is episode 192, and there's basically only one topic on the agenda today. That is a US election, the only thing anyone is talking about at the moment. Uh, got some fun people coming in. Got a lot of good friends of the show. Greg Sheridan, obviously, we've been talking to him a lot about the US election for the last couple of weeks. So we're going to get his take on... Uh, I don't know, because there's a whole lot still to play out. So it's like we've got Greg Sheridan on of a lot of what's next. Does the Supreme Court in, come into this? What happens in you know these worst-case scenarios that we're thinking through now? And then we're going to be talking to Daisy Cousins just about you know reactions on the day and what she thought and where the campaign was at. So you know two really good interviews. Really looking forward to those. But Pete... I mean, I don't know why we expected uh, anything else from this year. I mean, you just think about all the things that this year has brought to us. I I, I don't even know why I thought we might have the winner of the election announced on the day. Yeah, we were were sort of almost talking about maybe recording yesterday afternoon at one point. Um, Yeah, no, there's absolutely no surprise to anyone that both sides reckon they've won or they're going to win and <laughs> we don't know yet and it's going to be a court challenge and stuff like that. I would point out, you mentioned that there was only one story in town that the Victorian Electoral Commission did tweet out the results of the local council's elections here in Victoria, which I thought was a touch suspicious. Mark that on doing. the board. Mark that on the board. Where's um that CNN map guy's map on Winera Council? That is, exactly. that's the big news. It was so funny. It was like all these, you know, Trump's won this state, blah, blah, blah. And then it would be, you know, West Mildura results are in. It was I found it suspicious, but no, you're exactly right, James. That, that this twenty twenty would deliver nothing else but a knife edge U.S. presidential election. Yeah, so we don't know a whole lot at this stage. No one does. Uh, betting markets, like I checked it this morning, was like one twenty five Biden, four bucks Trump. I think so. I don't like the last I checked, and obviously this is going to be out of date before the show even comes out. But the last I checked, it was basically Biden's about to win Wisconsin. He's probably going to win Michigan. Both sides are pretty confident they've got Pennsylvania. I heard like they found a bunch of missing votes in Arizona from Trump countries, which might swing it back to Trump after Fox News copped a lot of flack for calling it for the Democrats. Nevada's still a toss-up, probably will end up being Democrats, and then Georgia still a toss-up, but probably is going to end up being Republicans. So I think if everyone holds onto the lead they have, uh, and Pennsylvania goes Trump, I think Biden still has it, but I don't know. Does that sound right yeah, to you? Yeah, that sounds right to me. The, th- the last thing I read was that Biden has won Wisconsin and that he just needs to win Michigan and Nevada in order to win, uh, and even if you know, if Trump gets Pennsylvania, that doesn't count. And he's ahead in Michigan and Nevada. But they are st- of the postal votes that still have to come in there from areas that are expected to mostly vote his way anyway. So it does look like Biden at this stage quite narrow. Yeah, but just like a wild day, because like uh, just going by betting markets on this one. I mean, Trump started out the day down at 380 or 425 to win. By about 3.30 p.m., he was into dollar ten. And now he's rank outsider again. So absolutely no one, no one knew what was going on. I think the big flip was uh, when Arizona got called blue. People were just like, "Oh, hang on, this isn't the uh, game over plan it was." And then it had a lot of mail-in ballots started to be counted because a lot of counties started voting, uh, started counting the mail-in votings first 
but Michigan and, and Wisconsin seem to be doing that last. And when they go heavily Democrats, it was like, oh, you know, Trump, uh, Biden got out to a lead in the big cities. Then the, the rural areas came in, so it went back to Trump. And then mail-in came back in for Biden. So states were just flip-flopping everywhere. Electric TV like, could not turn away for anything. Uh, but yeah, wild day. Yeah, no, it was pretty wild. In particular, at the start, it was obviously expected that Biden was going to win. And then early... I mean, I was just watching on Twitter, which I feel like is a superior way of watching the election than any of the coverage. And Do you have like, oh, any Tom's joy gonna... left in life? Like just after a full day of only following things through Twitter, did it did it finally destroy you or do you still have that little paid charm that we all know and love? Oh, no, yeah, that, that charm that I'm famous for is still there, James. Um, but uh, it was like, oh, well, Trump's just going to win. This is pretty funny. And then um, and then, then it came back and um, it changed. The, the betting market... Uh, sort of was the betting markets were getting thrown around as, um, you know, some kind of sage that was that was more insightful than the polls. But I think it was just people trying to make cash. Um, yeah. So, but yeah, it was it was no, crazy crazy old day, James. Yeah. So we don't know a whole lot about the election winner, obviously, but I think we do know a lot about just things in general that we learned yesterday. So mm-hmm. Pete and I, it's going to be loose. It's going to be as bad as loose as the election, but we're just going to run through. Winners and losers we found on the day, completely at random. And Pete, if I could start off with who I think is the biggest loser of the day, yeah, uh, polling, polling in general. Anyone that has the word pollster in their job title lost big time. I mean, this was supposed to be the election that Donald Trump would, uh, sorry, that Joe Biden would absolutely run away with. It was going to be a whitewash. It was going to be a blue wave. Uh, obviously it didn't happen. There was one ABC poll this week that found that Joe Biden was up 17 points in Wisconsin. That one is still too close to t- uh, call as of today. So that one was way off. I mean, pollsters took the biggest beating in the world in 2016 and they had four years to figure out how to do it. And they've come back and they've absolutely lost it again. I I read something on Twitter yesterday. I actually feel a little bit sorry for the pollsters because they can't... If people lie to them, what are they meant to do? Like all these people won't tell them. If you don't, if people don't tell the pollsters what they're going to vote for, then it's not really a poll, and um, they're actually not. Many, they don't have many options. And I think it's almost become this thing now. Like I, so some people originally weren't telling the pollsters what they thought because they're afraid or something like that. But now people are like, I'm just not going to tell the pollsters because I love seeing the pollsters crash and burn. Um, so one I don't strategy. Know. One strategy I heard was like a, a better indicator of polling is not the question like who are you going to vote for, but it's who are your neighbours are going to vote for. Like this reverse, mm. like I'm asking for a mate. Like oh, but you know, we you know I don't need to know you, and I'm not going to hold it against you. But like, who do you reckon the people around you are voting for? And when they go, oh yeah, Trump, that might be a better indicator. So, but mm. you know, I, I get the shy Trump voter syndrome and the fact that people can just lie. But you've had four years to come up with better questions that might be a bit more indicative of where people lie. Yeah, well, there are there is some outside. I think there's a polling company called Trafalgar or something like that who were much more accurate um, than the than most of the pollsters, and they were sort of saying they don't give away their exact formula because obviously it's worth a lot of money. But they say we were asking things. <laughs> Certainly about, now it is. Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> what else? I mean, yeah, that's really the only formula you can use. But they were they were and they were accurate in 2016 as well, and they were saying stuff like you know you ask questions about what issues you care about and what things you think are more important. And from that, you gain a picture and, and pick the pollsters. But yeah, no, the, the pollsters took an absolute beating, mate. Can I jump in with a winner here? Yeah, go for a winner. So my winner... Oh, no, this is going to be a loser. Oh, okay, it's a loser. Go ahead. It's a loser. 
My loser is the idea that Trump is a racist and all his voters are racists because we saw every demographic except for white men, according to exit polls that we just said don't count, Edison exit polls, uh, white men voted for Trump. So every demographic except for white men voted for Trump more than last time. So white men actually voted considerably less for Trump. But white women, black men, black women, obviously all the other demographics, black, Hispanics, uh, sorry, Hispanic women, Hispanic men, etc., all voted for Trump more. So white, rich white liberals in the major cities might think Trump is a racist, but minorities think he's a racist less than they did four years ago, uh, which, which you know really means that we should have to drop the whole thing about Trump is a racist now, given his growing support amongst minorities. In fact, out of non-white voters, he had the highest Republican non-white vote since, the 19, since 1960. So there you go, James. And I yeah. guess we have to ask the question, given Biden's growing support amongst white men, is Joe Biden a white supremacist? I, I mean, like, if that's the question that has to be raised every time the other polls come out, then surely this time is no exception. Uh, yeah, some outstra- outrageous stats. The last, so 2016, Trump won 7% of the black vote. That went up to 12%. And he won 17% of black men and 32% of Hispanics. So, yeah, it just turns out that calling a bunch of people racist, racist, racist over and over again doesn't exactly foster the coalition of minorities that people thought it was. And... Florida being the early surprise of the night, people thinking that was going to go blue, but then it seemed to be delivered to Trump basically off the back of Hispanic voters. Uh, it, it's not a message that's cutting through. And I did see this one funny part where it's like the Hispanic vote in uh, Florida is a lot of Cuban migrants who've obviously fled from communism and know what happens. And Biden's ads for himself where he's trying to call himself progressive was using the same Spanish word for progressive as socialist and a lot of Cuban voters would have been going like hang on isn't that isn't that what my dad fled here from so that backfired as well but uh yeah big loss for the woke brigade and I want to shout out Ida Bay Wells who was the own uh the person that like started the 1619 project in the new york times and stuff like Mm. america's completely tied to slavery and its history she tweeted one day after this election is over i'm going to write a piece about how latino is a contrived ethnic category that artificially lumps white cubans with black puerto ricans and indigenous guatemalans and helps explains why latinos support trump at the second highest rate uh you're stumbling like just give up But she's like not close to it. Like Latino is a contrived thing. It's like, yeah, there is not one like hegemonic Hispanic vote. There's just a whole bunch of individuals with a similar cultural background, but different political views. So she's getting it slightly closer to the mark. That's, that's exactly right. And that's the point we make week in, week out. And also I think she means Latinx. That was a bit problematic. Yeah. Yeah. The things that (laughs) did not go down well. The The final point I'd like to make about this is that this goes to a deeper thing about, so in terms of i don't know like racial harmony and and everyone getting to go in our society it's not about everyone doing diversity training it's actually about creating opportunity for ethnic minorities and we saw that trump achieved the lowest african-american unemployment rate in u.s history and the lowest hispanic unemployment rate in u.s history and it's like rather than all sort of you know dealing with our unconscious bias maybe just jobs and opportunity and stuff like that is what people need that's, no, that's way too radical, Pete. It's so much easier to just call someone you don't like a racist than to yeah. think about those things hard. Uh, yeah. All right, I'm going to chuck a winner in here just because I had a few losers in a row. My f- one winner here, um, I'm just going to go a good night's sleep. That was a big winner of the day. Uh, <laughs> there was a polling place in an elementary school uh, in 
uh, Cobb County. I don't know exactly where that is, but anyway, it had the Supreme Court of the St- Superior Court Judge Robert D. Leonard signed an order on Tuesday afternoon that a polling place in Cobb County had to be open like 20 minutes later than was originally scheduled because the polling official overslept 20 minutes and the polling place couldn't open until they turned up. So, you know, you've always got to get a good night's sleep in before a big day, but that, you know, it's just an important thing. Eight hours. Eight hours. Prepare to fail. What is it? Fail to prepare, prepare to fail. I yeah. love that. There's just millions and millions, well, billions of people really on a knife edge. And this person is like, It's in nah. Georgia. <laughs> it's in Georgia. Like a, a battleground swing state at the moment. So. Yeah. Just imagine wow. Trump sitting by the phone for another 20 minutes going, what, what's going on? <laughs> Old mate was like, uh, if, if I could jump in with a winner, James, because no. I just thought of, I actually turned this around the right way now. A winner, now this is a big brain point, I reckon, is a winner, so, you know, get your pens and paper out, uh, everyone, Trumpism. Is Trumpism a winner here, if there is a such thing as Trumpism? Because Trump has probably lost this election, but the idea that the concerns of people that vote for Trump need to be considered by the political system um, has been consolidated by the result of this election, because this election was meant to be an absolute repudiation of everything that was about Trump, Yet, despite having all the media, big tech, you know, the academy, international leaders, international opinion behind them, the Democrats won, if they've won, by, you know, basically nothing. The last thing I checked was that Trump actually increased his share of the popular vote compared to last time. And what that means is, even though Trump might be a loser here, um, uh, which I have to keep reiterating is not necessarily the case yet, but if he is a loser... The, the the concerns of these people are genuine and they're, they're not stupid racist idiots you know they sort of the idea that a group of people would like kind of like capitalism and they're proud of america and they don't like identity politics and they enjoy you know they, they value religion um that doesn't make a group of people a bunch of idiots and a bunch of racists and uh, you know they are serious concerns and those have to be considered by the political system going forward so trumpism is a winner a winner yeah, it would be interesting to see if, like, the next couple of years, whether you can take, uh, you know, like some sort of science fiction experiment, take Trump's ideas but put them in a more palatable body. Like, it just, That's- you know, if you can get, like, uh, stuff, you know, basically pushing back against critical race theory and saying that jobs are more important than having the right opinions online, but you can put it in someone that doesn't do what Trump does on Twitter, maybe that would be better for everyone. Yeah, let, I mean, for argument's sake, let's call that person Mike Pence. But the that's the question. Is it like, does Trumpism, let's, you know, it's not an ism, but let's call it that for now. Is that assisted by having Trump or is that um, hindered by having Trump? Or is it like they needed Trump to get their, someone like Trump who's, you know, off balance and, and out there to get their concerns on the map. But now that they're in the system, they need someone more mainstream or, or is Trump the man or whatever. I don't know. That's interesting what? to see how that plays out. I want to ask Greg Sheridan about that later on. What you've done really well there, Pete, is, uh, and th- this is like a, a, a shout out to people out there who want to begin becoming journalists, want, want to become podcast hosts. What you've done is put out a po- talking point, which you can't be proven wrong for, for four years. So yeah. for four years, it can just be like, well, we, I, we don't know if I'm right or wrong yet. It, it has to play out. This is, this is the trick, everyone. Well, so much of this stuff can't be proven for a long period of time, but I don't want to wait four years to put out another podcast, so I have to keep coming up with this stuff, don't I? 
All right, uh, what else have I got? I got a loser here, coronavirus. That was a big loser of the day. So this is an exit poll on how people thought about issues. So which one of the five issues mattered most in deciding how you voted for the president? People asked between the economy, racial inequality, the coronavirus pandemic, crime and safety, healthcare policy. Coronavirus pandemic finished third with 17%. The economy finished first with 35 and then racial inequality with 20%. Sorry, big loss for coronavirus today. Yes, coronavirus has to, you know, lick its wounds. It's interesting. I think sort of people might have been, a lot of people sort of accept the view that Trump didn't handle the start of the pandemic very well, but they might still think he's the best person to take them forward. And maybe that benefited Trump a little bit. But um, yeah, no, you're right. Uh, it's interesting, even even after, because COVID's wrought absolute havoc in the United States, that the um, the economy is still number one. And, and even just to barely hear about coronavirus for a couple of hours uh, was, you know, would have coronavirus on the back foot i guess um if i could if i could put another loser in james go ahead i i reckon the loser you don't need to ask permission this is it's (laughs) it's freeform jazz at the moment babe (laughs) freeform jazz uh that's interesting yeah no so another another loser are us podcast hosts because we have to make calls on stuff that we don't know anything about and it could come that could haunt us down the track and stuff like you know is trump gonna lead a coup one of those calls i feel like we got into this game to make cheap lols about the greens and stuff like that this year we've had to be epidemiologists you know is there structural racism in american criminal justice what's the most effective way of backburning stuff like that i didn't sign up for stuff like that so i feel like we're losers because we have to decide is Trump going to lead a coup? What do you think about that, James? <laughs> I think you just got to grow into your role. Like, it might not be where you started, but it's where you're going. So, uh, I believe in you, Pete. It's the natural it's the natural path that you're taking on. So, uh, uh, I got a winner here, Mitch McConnell. This one's an interesting one. So, Mitch McConnell got re, uh, won his re-election in Kentucky, probably going to be leading the Senate because it looks like the Republicans are going to hold that. So, if you were worried that, like, there was going to be the Democratic court packing, I think that the fact that the Republicans have the Senate means that's on the... Uh, uh, that, that won't happen. But anyway, Mitch McConnell himself, uh, he was up against Amy McGrath, who various left-wing causes raised $100 million for in donations for her to get absolutely roasted. If the Democrats are looking to spend that much money for something that's never going to win, I'll run against him for $50 million. Just send me $50 million, I will lose, and you guys will have $50 million to spend elsewhere. James is available, guys. No, you're right about the Senate. That's huge. Um that's huge for them, the Republicans, because they did think they were going to lose that. that and they are, it looks like they're going to hold the Senate. That will prevent Biden, if he becomes president, from, as you say, expanding the Supreme Court and uh, inducting Puerto Rico and one other place, which has slipped my mind, into becoming a state, um, which would be assumed that they would send mostly Democrat representatives to Washington. So that's a, a big issue. Uh, and yeah, Mitch McConnell, former fighter pilot, Amy McGrath, don't forget that. I've got another winner for you, James. Drug legalization. Mm. Arizona, Montana, New Jersey, and South Dakota voted to decriminalize recreational marijuana. Mississippi and South Dakota uh, legalized medical marijuana. The number of states that have legalized the substance is up to 15%. Uh, Psychedelic plants will be decriminalized in Washington, D.C. As if Washington wasn't crazy enough, James. And in Oregon, all illegal drugs will be decriminalized, which seems like a good move given how stable Oregon is at the moment. Um, So... Yeah, massive. Like it was a huge. I don't know. I'm not. A, I haven't got that much. I don't know the history of this stuff, but it seems like maybe the biggest change in one day that they've ever had on that front. Mm, yeah, that was an interesting one. Got another winner here. The dead. 
So a man who died of COVID-19 has been elected to North Dakota's House of Representatives. David Andal was uh, elected to be one of the two state representatives in District 8, North Dakota. However, he was, uh, he's been dead for some time as a result of coronavirus. So, um, you know, that, that's inspiration for people out there. If you ever feel that something's getting in your way, this guy was able to be elected despite being dead. So just really think about the boundaries that stand between you and your way. And then conversely... There's someone out there in America that just lost to a dead guy in an election race. So talk about low energy jab. Can't get much more low energy than that. You have been sitting on that all night, I can tell. No, that was was in the heat of the moment, came up with that one. Why does stuff like this happen in America? Because America is the land of the free and the greatest country in the world. There's a reason that mayors get, like dogs get elected mayor and dead guys are now in the House of Representatives. How does stuff like that even happen? Okay, I've got... Sorry, I'm just going to scroll down quickly here. I've got a um, a couple of more humorous ones. So, loser... <laughs> calling a shot early. <laughs> this is going to be funny and you're all going to laugh. Bandy X Lee, this is a loser. Get, and it's a couple of days old, but it's so good I had to include it. Guest and mental health expert on CNN and MSNBC uh, tweeted this a couple of days ago, Donald Trump is not an Adolf Hitler. At least, Hitler, at least Hitler improved the daily lives of his followers, uh, daily life of his followers, had discipline and required more of himself to gain the respect of his followers. Even with the same pathology, they are varying degrees of competence. So Trump is Hitler is not new. Trump is Hitler. Trump is worse than Hitler is rare, but probably not new. But Trump is worse than Hitler. And here's some good points about Hitler. That's new. That's a new level. That's, yeah, that's um, that's journalisming to a new degree. But I do like like if you ever fall out with Saul or I, or just like with a listener of this podcast, that is so easily to clip out and just remove the stuff about you quoting someone else. <laughs> the pe- it's you out there yourself now. Wide open. The people have the truth. At least Hitler yeah, improved Rolf- the daily life of his followers. Are we? Yeah, that's know. that's as bad as it gets. Uh, what else have I got here? I've got. Uh, losing the American political system. At one point, it was just last, like yesterday afternoon, last night, US, uh, who knows? But at just one point, Philadelphia said, yeah, we're stopping counting ballots today. Like, I just, I, I find that's a weird system. The fact that you can just stop counting ballots on the night. Like, just go, well, guys, it's getting late. Like, someone's, <laughs> you know, I've got I've got some sleep to get to. I've got a breakfast in the morning. We need to get out of here. That just I don't seems, want to oversleep again. I don't want to oversleep again. I, that seems a weird way to host an election and i yeah, guess th- you could go like oh but this is a coronavirus pandemic there's so many mail imbalances like we've had coronavirus for at least eight months now and you kind of felt that there were going to be a fair few mail out ballots you didn't want to bring in a bit more of a rock solid system just bring in a few extra people just you know a couple of shifts um yeah, yeah the u.s electoral system is ramshackle that's how i would describe it like it's just so weird that this stuff happens every time different systems in different places different systems in different counties and they don't seem to decide what the rules are before they start it um so we talked about if you know um if trump's going to lead a coup we should also point out are the democrats going to steal the election um the there was sort of overnight there was these uh vote dumps suddenly appeared on the on the numbers uh with i think in in no what was it wisconsin and michigan um just a, a massive number of votes, like in the in like 130,000 or votes, just appeared on the tally, and 100% of them were for Biden. Uh, it, it turns out that at least one of those cases, it was something to do with an error further along. But I mean, Trump. That's what I said, thought. Like, someone just put in the wrong number of Biden votes. Like, 
you know, I, I don't love blaming conspiracy when human error will just do extremely nicely. Like, again, like, an election official overslept the election. Yeah, <laughs> there's well... There's a chance that there's just wrong accounting. Apparently, yeah, well, in one of those cases, and I forget which state it was, whoever was sending in the votes for one of the counties put an extra zero on the end of Biden's tally. So be- 15,000 became 150,000. Well, uh, so they, they ripped him off. But um, so there's just a few of those bouncing around, which that's what they're claiming as, um, you know, here, here the, ev- the Democratic machines on the run, uh, on the move, they're starting to take the election. Uh, and they're going to, Trump has already said they're going to make them do a, a recount of Wisconsin, which is, and this is the kind of stuff they'll be investigating over the next few days. There is precedent. Historians believe in 1960, Democrat, the Democrat machine uh, stole Illinois. Uh, so there is precedent for this kind of tomfoolery going on, James. But um, yeah, you're right. The electoral system in the US for this kind of stuff is a loser out of this um, thing. Oh, I don't know if I've got any more, mate. What am I... All right, well, the last one I was going to do is just... Uh, and I guess he's been misquoted a fair bit, but certainly, like, just before we started recording, I was watching a press conference of Eric Trump and Rudy Giuliani basically yeah. insinuating that Philadelphia was stolen. I don't really get the play of calling an election rigged while it's still going and you still, like, you still might win. Like, not only does that defeat the uh, people's faith in the Democratic system which is concerning but then when you win aren't you the exact same guy that said it was stolen so can people trust it i i just don't get the play i don't know yeah so many elections end up in the u.s in terms of legal challenges right that was going back to my question of if other democrats going to steal it like both sides will steal it if they got the opportunity but like they end up these legal challenges so maybe part in terms of james (laughs) in terms of it goes no matter who wins they're thieves (laughs) It's a fake election. <laughs> but so many of these things end up in legal battles where it's so close that, you know, theory, like in, realistically no one won and it's come down to, you know, the, who a legal battle. Uh, and when I say both teams will steal it, both teams will take whatever legal argument suits them to, to get the result going their way. I don't mean steal as in completely fabricate the whole result. Um, just to clarify. <laughs> just, <laughs> just to clarify. There's a clarification. Um, yeah, just like Trump last night. You've been misquoted by... Typical lamestream media associations. Yeah. All the time. All the time I have to put up with this. So um, the play, yeah, I don't know. So I don't know whether it's like if we put all this pressure on, maybe we'll get the result we want. And, you know, Joe Biden's like, we're going to win because this will help us get the result we want as well. Uh, all right, but I, I don't know to answer your question in short, but I did discover I've got one more loser. There we go. You hear that? I do. The, Austra- the Australian Greens, right? The Australian Greens tweeted out last night, Trump prematurely saying he won before all votes are counted and accusing his opponents of fraud. That's not how democracy works. This isn't over. Results are still unknown. Tell Morrison to condemn Trump's blatant attack on democracy. And there's like a petition, I think, to where you can sign your name to tell Scott Morrison to tell Trump that this is a blatant attack on democracy. It's like Australian Greens, be quiet. The adults are busy at the moment. Whether or not your followers sign a petition to tell Scott Morrison to tell Donald Trump to uh, stop saying he's won the election is not going to impact the outcome, save everyone their time and delete that tweet. Not delete. I mean, don't delete the tweet. I'm just saying, you know, we don't have to have a petition for everything. I'm just saying... saying, saying, You're saying it's stolen. (laughs) It is stolen. I'm saying that is just classic, you know, Greens. Oh, we're going to do a petition and this is going to make a big difference. And, you know, you've got to be an active participant in democracy. It's like, trust me, this is not going to make a difference, Green supporters. 
don't worry about signing this petition. Just. Yeah, but uh, if they sign the petition, then they get the mailing addresses. It's just good marketing. So that is it for the loosest election coverage you're going to hear today. We will go to the interviews with uh, Sheridan and Daisy Carsons, and then on the other side of that, we've got Heroes and Villains. Okay, we now welcome back onto the show someone who's been providing us with a lot of uh, election, pre-election analysis. So we thought, who best to talk to on the day after some results, but not all of them came in. Greg Sheridan, foreign editor at The Australian. How are you going? Good, thanks, James. How are you? Uh, very good. Now, I've thought of a few different ways I'm going to phrase uh, this first question, but I can't beat what my heart is telling me to ask you. And so I'm just going to ask you, Greg, what on earth happened yesterday? Well, uh, America was a very divided country. Uh, we've seen, uh, I think at this stage, about 70 million votes for Joe Biden, 67 million for Donald Trump. Whereas Donald Trump won by an absolute whisker last time, he won three states with a cumulative total of 75, uh, 77,000 vote margin. It looks like he's going to lose by a whisker this time. He's going to just lose Arizona. He's going to just lose Nevada. And he's probably just going to lose uh, Wisconsin and Michigan. And that will, even if he holds Pennsylvania, that will probably put Biden over the top. So one thing that happened is that Trump voters voted on the day overwhelmingly, but the huge number of mail-in votes overwhelmingly favoured Biden. So you got huge leads depending which vote was counted first. So in Florida, they counted the mail-in vote first. So the early counting looked as though Biden was miles ahead and then Trump uh, pegged him back and overtook him with the votes on the day. Uh, in Wisconsin and Michigan, it seems like the mail-in votes were counted last and they broke so heavily for Joe Biden that he hauled in uh, a margin of hundreds of thousands of votes for Donald Trump. So in any normal election, a margin of hundreds of thousands would mean you're not going to lose because the other guy has got to not only win, but he's got to win the remaining votes by that margin. Uh, but that's what happened in this case. The mail-in votes broke so heavily for Biden. Greg, we'll get into the sort of the, the broader, uh, bigger issues in a sec, but I just want to ask a bit of a process one because uh, a lot of people might not really know this, but why do the mail-in votes favour Biden so much? And given they seem to do favour Biden and, and I assume the Democrats, does that mean... Uh, going forward, is, will there be as many mail-in votes as there were this time or was there more because of COVID? And if, if mail-in votes become more prevalent, is that a, a long-term uh, boon for the Democrats? No, uh, Pete, to be honest, there's no reason for mail-in votes to favour Democrats. But Donald Trump himself, who, who, you know, we'll talk about this in a minute, but he, he waged a magnificent campaign. You've got to say he came from so far behind. The polls were miles out. You know, Nate Silver had him losing Michigan by 8% and it's going to be basically a dead heat. Um, and uh, all the polls had him losing Florida and so on, he won easily. But no, the reason mail-in votes favoured Democrats this time was because Trump told him, told his voters not to vote by mail. Trump said the mail-in vote process would be fraudulent and, uh, you know, told his voters to come and vote in person, uh, whereas Democrats did everything to get their guys to, uh, to vote early by mail. But in a general election, there's no reason why mail-in votes should favour one side or the other. However, I'd offer you two uh, very brief reflections. One is, 
there is an enormous history of electoral shenanigans in the United States. The United States runs ramshackle, very diverse electoral systems. Uh, historians believe that in the very close election of 1960, the Democrat machine stole Illinois from Richard Nixon for John Kennedy. Uh, the Democrat primaries which were held this year were an absolute uh, uh, mess with the wrong candidate being declared the winner. And if you if you automatically mail out ballots to every voter in the state at their last registered address, it doesn't require much imagination to think of people running around and um, and picking them up and uh, and voting on behalf of people. So that's one reflection. The other reflection is, oddly enough, I think it does suit conservatives better to have an election come down to a decision on the day. And even in Australia, I think we've overdone voting in advance. I mean, an, uh, an electorate should make a decision on a given day. The Americans ought to make it easier to vote on the given day. They should do it on a Saturday, not a Tuesday. They should have more polling places open and so on. But the more it becomes a long-running, uh, you know, month-long process, I do think uh, that makes the vote kind of more bureaucratic, whereas conservatives benefit when voters get into the ballot box and think, oh, my God, do I really want Joe Biden to end the oil industry? Do I really believe in identity politics uh, and all of that? But certainly we've seen nothing ever before like yesterday where all the votes on the day favoured one candidate and all the votes by mail favoured the other guy. I wanted to ask you about those, uh, I think your words were electoral shenanigans, which is what I'm going to call it from now on. But uh, Trump's basically said they're challenging what's happened in Philadelphia. He's called for a recount in Wisconsin. Looks like Arizona is going to come down to like... Uh, you know, they've, they've just found a bunch of missing ballots that vote Trump as well. How long is this going to play out? And if the Supreme Court gets involved, what's that going to look like? Well, James, uh, I think it probably won't play out for too long. Um, the uh, For a challenge to be successful, something has to be going on in a city or a, or a, or a state that you can say to a court is crook, let's stop it. So in, in the famous case in 2000, uh, Al Gore versus George W. Bush, they, they had counted the votes in Florida and had counted them over and over and over again. And because of the nature of the physical votes in that time, the mere act of counting them could change them because you had to, you had to vote by punching a hole through a paper, the so-called chad. And so you had hanging chads, chads which hadn't quite come out. And if you counted them over and over and over again, you could get the chad to, to drop. Well, you know, that seemed to be a crook process. Um, I think Trump will get his recounts. There's no problem with that. And there's absolutely nothing undemocratic about recounting a vote. Uh, you should do that if, uh, if it's real close or if there's any doubt. However, the, the history of recounts is that they seldom change the result um, because you've got to find thousands of ballots that are wrong and it's got to be a net gain for one side or the other it, you know and if it's just if they're just randomly wrong the likelihood is that they'll be equally wrong on both sides this story of finding ballots that weren't found before and so on uh you know i love the united states but their their election processes are utterly ramshackle they vary wildly from state to state not only in how votes are cast, but how they're counted and how electoral college uh, 
numbers are allocated. You know, there are two states, Nebraska and Maine, which allocate electoral college votes on the on the basis of congressional districts, whereas most states are a winner-take-all system. So it is quite an eccentric and chaotic system. And if Trump still holds Pennsylvania, Biden will sneak over the line by an extremely narrow margin. So Trump is entitled to explore his legal options, is entitled to ask for recounts. The Supreme Court is not a corrupt body. They're, they are nine justices of impeccable integrity. They're not going to steal the election for Trump. There's not going to be any um, uh, any reversal of a Democratic vote. So I, I think the prospects of Trump, you know, affecting materially affecting the outcome are pretty limited. But naturally, when the stakes are so high, you do everything you possibly can. So... Just on that, uh, Greg, so there's a lot of anxiety around on social media in particular about sort of two things, either the Democrats stealing the election or Trump refusing to accept the result. Um, a lot of people are genuinely worried about that. Do you see much chance of it getting genuinely nasty or do you think one team will just win and that'll be that? Well, Peter, I always thought the, the most likely scenario for real disturbance was if Trump won, if Biden won the electoral vote, but Trump won the electoral college. And for a long time yesterday, that's what it looked like it was going to be, because uh, it's clear that the mobs who rampage through American cities and ransack the cities, torch shops, smash up, you know, they're, they're angry with systemic racism, so they go and smash up a Korean grocery store or burn down an African-owned -owned chemist or something. They would, they would have taken to the streets if Trump had won narrowly, I, I think. And that's what people were boarding up their shops for. They weren't worried about right-wing militia coming down into Manhattan or Washington, D.C. and shooting up their shops, although there are some very ugly right-wing militia who I oppose absolutely. What they were worried about was mobs of angry protesters. Well, that's not likely to be the case if Biden wins. Now, the question, would Trump refuse to leave, um, you know, I think Trump waged a quite magnificent campaign to vote and deserves a lot of credit for that. In general, though, I'm no particular fan of the way Trump behaves and what he says and so on. But he has no option not to leave. There are no institutions in America which will back a, a um, an illegal or counter-electoral uh, counter result. So the, the left always says Trump was an authoritarian. This was typical fevered swamp mind, fevered mind, madness, lizard Illuminati stuff. Uh, that's an ironic phrase. Let me say I'm using that phrase ironically. Oh, uh, I'm clipping oh, that out and using that as a show promo. That's for sure. <laughs> uh, it's always important in Australia to issue an irony alert, you know. Uh, but this idea that Trump is an authoritarian is typical madness of the left. It bears no relation to reality. Trump never broke a law. He never disobeyed a, a court ruling against him. He was not able and did not try to use the military in any uh, extra legal fashion. He doesn't control the courts. He doesn't control the media. And in the democratic elections that were held under his presidency, his side lost more often than they won. So there is absolutely no aspect of authoritarian regime in the administration Trump won. If the electoral college meets and declares Biden the winner, and Trump didn't leave the White House, you know, the Washington police would come along and ask him to leave. But uh, I don't think there's any real danger of that. Of course, Trump will engage in 
you know, crazy bombast. Uh, so while I admire his campaign, I don't admire very often the way he speaks. And, um, and you know, it's quite possible now he could we could have a few weeks of him speaking in a bananas fashion. On the other hand, if he absolutely knows for sure that he's beaten, he may pivot another way. He might decide to be a father of the nation for a week or uh, or a benign uh, figure. Trump is is very uh, flexible, very agile, and very unpredictable. Uh, I'm going to steal one of Pete's questions here, but w- w- with what you say about Donald Trump being very brash, very uh, aggressive, is there any chance that the Republicans could take, because obviously Trump was a lot more popular than even Republicans were thinking with how close this election was, is there an idea that there's another Republican out there that can take what Trump did well, which is appeal to working class people, appeal to uh, middle America and forgotten people and push back against critical race theory, push back against swamp creatures and stuff like that, uh, but find like a more coherent host to uh, to push it forward? Like, is that what the Republicans can do? And is there anyone that's putting themselves forward as someone who is that? Well, that's a $64 million question, James. Uh you know, the Bob Woodward's book about Trump, his latest one, Rage, it, it's it's a bit anti-Trump and so on, but but it's a, it's a very useful book. And the the most important criticism he makes of Trump is is not all the left-wing criticism. He says it is the failure to organise. So Trump had a genius for campaigning. Um, and while I like to think a more coherent Republican could have taken the same issues, uh, Trump's genius for generating publicity, generating free publicity and so on, uh, it, you've, you've got to recognise now this election was so close, that was a very positive thing. So Trump was outspent in the last stages of the campaign, three to one. Uh, zip codes with an average income above $100,000 massively outdonated to Biden. Zip codes with an uh, average income below $100,000 very substantially outdonated to Trump. So Trump won the support of working men and women. Manual workers who donated to politics donated 75% to Trump. Ranchers even more so. Biden won overwhelmingly college professors. Well, that just shows what a what a horrible coalition Biden has put together. I mean, William Buckley's line comes to mind. I'd rather be governed by the first 10 pages of the Boston phone book than by the Harvard faculty. But it is, a, it is an open question. Could someone who was a little less offensive than Trump and a little better organised, have run on those issues. And I think the second debate, where Trump was far more effective than the first debate, and also Mike Pence's debate, were tragic in a way because they showed what might have been. There was a compelling policy case for Trump to put. Cutting taxes, deregulating the economy, energy independence... They had been tremendously effective before COVID in in producing the lowest unemployment rates in US history and a booming US economy, the fastest growing economy in the Western world. Uh, A strong defence was right. He had increased the Pentagon budget beyond what any other president would do. He had called out China properly. He had uh, called out the way China games the international trade system and uh, proposed remedies for that. Now, I do think the old pre-Trump Republican politics is dead. I don't think anybody goes back to the Mitt Romney, even George W. Bush um, paradigm. But the question you ask is a $64 million question. Now, there are a lot of good Republicans, uh, Tom Cotton, Senator Tom Cotton, uh, Ben Sass, a lot of others, 
who take elements of, of what Trump has done, but the system the, the system is kind of rigged in favour of the Democrats. Big tech, the social media companies, the most sinister thing in the election was them censoring the news in behaviour in, in, in the interest of the Democrats. And the massive amount of money that big tech and Silicon Valley and so on and the trial plaintiff lawyers and all the rest of it give to the Democrats means that any Republican presidential candidate is going to be an insurgent. And will they have the genius for generating publicity that Trump had? The final thought on all this, though, is the Republicans seem to have held the Senate. It looks like they've held the Senate. It's not absolutely clear, but it looks like it. And it looks like they've made gains in the House of Representatives. So the the body of ideas that Trump represented and that the Republicans represent still very, very robust in the United States. This was not a wave election where America decided to change direction. And assuming the Republicans hold the Senate, Biden will be lucky if they do, because he will be saved from the radicalism of his own party. He won't be able to implement, you know, the end of the oil industry, carbon taxes until the cows come home and so forth, because the, the Senate won't let him. Well, you sort of answered it right at the end there, Greg, but I would like you to sort of um, add a little bit more to that idea. So we, what is the future of Trumpism as a set of ideas? I know I'm not not happy with the term Trumpism, but you know what I mean when I say that. Um, as a set of ideas, you know, you can no longer really accuse people who voted for Trump as a bunch of racist idiots. I said that earlier in the show, um, given that, you know, as, as it was mentioned in The Australian this morning, that uh, Trump had the highest non-white uh, vote of a Republican since 1960. Um, and, and, you know, these people can no longer be dismissed as idiot rubes who are racist. Um, and, and, and they are a powerful electoral force in American politics for two uh, elections in a row now. What is the future for that as a set of ideas? Do the, do the Republicans take that set of ideas forward? Do the Democrats finally actually learn from what's happening and maybe uh, incorporate a few of those ideas into their platform? How do you see that playing out? Uh, well, Pete, the, the US is tremendously polarised. So uh, I don't think all of Trump's ideas were good, but I think some of them were good. And there's a very good, coherent uh, nub of ideas there. So let's take one bugbear, immigration. I myself am a pro, I'm pro-immigration. I like a big immigration program for Australia and America. But I agree with Trump a million percent. You've got to stop illegal immigration, just like John Howard did in Australia. He stopped illegal immigration, and that gave him the moral credibility to increase the legal immigration program. Now, the Democrats used to also be against illegal immigration. Now, in this campaign, they were an open borders party. Now, if they run an open borders policy, uh, the people, the American people will turn against them massively. Trump has been heavily against illegal immigration and Hispanic voters were flooding towards him. So I think it's a very good thing that the Republicans go out and chase African-American voters and Hispanic voters. They must absolutely chase that. Uh, the, um, the, the way he called out China has changed the China debate forever. He spoke about China in a, in a way that was basically honest. It was sometimes mercurially, he would go this way and then he'd go back that way. But his basic critique of China was honest and that is going to change uh, the China debate forever. Um, he was a deregulationist, whereas the Democrats want to put on massive climate regulations. Now, when Barack Obama won and when Bill Clinton won, in their first midterm election, two years after they, they won the presidency, 
they suffered massive congressional losses. And that turned Bill Clinton from a leftist into a centrist, and it prevented Barack Obama from uh, enacting left-wing legislation. He, he did do Obamacare, but he didn't do anything else. It's very likely the same thing will happen this time, although politics is not the common law. It's not bound by precedent. Uh, the forces which the Democrats have unleashed, the forces which hate American society, which hate Western civilization, behind the Black Lives Matter movement, of course I believe Black Lives Matter, I believe all lives matter equally, but the forces behind Black Lives Matter as a movement hate and despise Western civilization. Now, the Democratic Party is still infected with all that and they want to give, they're going to want to give voice to all that. Uh, and the, the extremes of Biden's party will push him in that direction. Trump will, will uh, Trumpism represents a reaction to that. But here's a final thought, Pete, which I don't know whether it's good or bad, but it's, it's probably good for newspapers, hair raising for voters. If Trump had won this time, one good thing would mean that he couldn't run again. So you'd get a more normal Republican next time. But, you know, Trump has been president for one term. That means he could run again. Now, he might actually run again, or he might just keep the idea going for the next four years. He might try to create the Trump News Network uh, and um, promote himself and his family as the political salvation of America. Now, I mean, I massively respect the way Trump campaigned, but there is a lot about Trump that is very dubious. And um, if he is... Um, if he is attempting to be himself the personal embodiment of the Republican Party over the next four years, this could be grief for everybody. Could drive Biden crazy, but he could also drive the Republican Party crazy. I think he's coming back for absolutely sure if Biden uh, is decided <laughs> as this winner. Uh, last question I've got for you. So obviously polls got this election wrong horrendously yet again. What what is it going to take for us to have any faith in polls for the like next coming election cycles? Well, the polls were catastrophic, James. They were just catastrophic. You know, um, it does seem clear now that polls underestimate the conservative vote. But we, I don't think we, you know, I don't think conservatives can ever say, well, we're behind by the in the polls by ten percent, but we're still going to win. However, now you've got a long line of elections. 2015, when David Cameron won against the polls, a clear majority in his own right in England. The Brexit vote, when Brexit won against the polls. Most recently, Boris Johnson's 80-seat majority, when the polls said the vote was tightening right as the election arrived. Scott Morrison's defeat of Bill Shorten against the polls. The polls were absolutely clear that Shorten was going to win. And now the polls put uh, Biden 6 7 8% ahead in the national vote. He's about one and a half percent behind in the national vote. Uh, uh, Trump is about one and a half percent behind now. The polls said um, Biden would win Michigan by eight uh, percent, which is why a lot of us didn't, you know, concentrate on Michigan as a key state for uh, for Trump. Now I have to admit myself, I never answer a poll. Uh, a pollster rang me. I'm one of the few Australians who still has a landline, and the only people who ring you on landlines scam artists, telemarketers and pollsters. And I simply refuse ever to take a poll, ever. And conservatives probably are a bit more paranoid than than, uh, than other folks and they've got good reason to be, so they don't share their private information with pollsters. Now, the poll companies all told us they had learnt all the lessons of 2016. 
but in many ways their poll errors were greater than 2016. Uh, now, it's, this is an enormous challenge to polling companies. Uh, how can they do better? It's particularly challenging in America where you have voluntary voting. But um, I think uh, uh, I, I have no solution to it. But I just think that polls seem to be underestimating conservatives. It does. It may suggest a very toxic, wicked, intimidatory environment which exists in the United States, which is that people who um, support Trump are scared to say so because they'll be denounced as white supremacists or racists or something like this. I mean, I've been critical of Trump and supportive of some things that Trump does, but routinely on social media, uh, which doesn't bother me at all, but routinely I'm attacked as a, a you know, as a, a Trump stooge, a white supremacist, a racist, all the rest of it. Um, that's If you're a journalist, that's fine because the, you'd hate to be ignored. You love people to go crackers at you. But normal people don't like that. Normal people don't like being abused for no reason. So what the pollsters can do to discover the shy conservatives and what the political culture can do to make an environment where people are relaxed about saying what their preference is, even if, heaven forfend, they happen to be conservatives. Um, that's a big question going forward. American political culture remains very heavily divided and polarised. And, uh, you know, the, the, the failure of the polls is one sign of that, I think. Greg Sheridan, foreign, foreign editor at The Australian. Thanks so much for coming on the show today and also for coming on over the previous few weeks. Thanks very much. I really enjoyed it. It's great fun. And you wouldn't be dead for quids, would you? <laughs> okay, we're now welcome back onto the show. Longtime friend of the Young IPA podcast and YouTuber, Sky News contributor, Daisy Cousins. How are you going? Good. Thank you, James. How are you? I'm good. Exhausted after yesterday. Wild day. Just wanted to get your take uh, on where everything is right now and what what happened. <laughs> well, gosh, um, well, where to begin? I mean, it is. This is this is just like nothing. I think anyone has ever seen what's going on now. I mean, in essence, sort of, we know what happened. There was uh, the Democrats predicted this miraculous blue wave that was going to sweep across the country and eradicate those filthy, nasty Trump supporters. But no, my God, absolutely nothing of the sort happened. It is so so close. Trump has. I mean, regardless of the result, Donald Trump has well overperformed the polls, the media polling, like all the pollsters need to resign. There was, I mean, for goodness sake, in Mich in Wisconsin, I know they've declared it for Biden now, but there was a poll that came out that had Biden 17 points ahead of Trump. And like, he's only won it by a couple of tens of thousands of votes for goodness sake. But that was touted as like this wonderful legitimate thing. So all the pollsters need to resign, bring in a whole new team of pollsters because they all suck except for a couple. But Honestly, okay, so I wake up this morning getting my head around what's happening, you know, okay, so there obviously have been mail-in ballots coming overnight, which we knew would sort of tilt Democrat because Democrats in the US are terrified of COVID and they go in and they vote early. But nobody expected they would tilt this Democrat. No one <laughs> expected they'd be quite this Democrat heavy. I mean, um, before I went to bed, uh, Trump had a lead of about 100,000 votes in Wisconsin. I actually expected that Biden would take Wisconsin. I was surprised that Trump even looked like he was winning it. So that didn't shock me. In Michigan, those absentee ballots chewed up a 300,000 vote lead. 
Now that that is that is something that really needs to be looked at. Just con considering the fact I kept track of how many absentee ballots were being returned and which ones were in um, prior to election day, and most of them were in. This is why I was very confused with this sort of red mist theory that somehow there'd be all of these hundreds of thousands of ballots turning up um, that would tilt the results to Biden. But this, as I, I said, you know, the maths just doesn't add up. There just weren't enough ballots that I saw that hadn't been returned from the sources that I was tracking. Um, and certainly Pennsylvania, um, Trump had about a 700,000 vote lead before we went to bed, which is huge and great. He's still about just under 300,000 ahead. But um, Rudy Giuliani was on this morning uh, talking about the long history of voter fraud um, in Philadelphia, in Pennsylvania, where they'll have people like dead people voting, for instance, you know, they'll sign up sort of random people and duplicate things. It's got a long and proud history of voter fraud. But something quite serious has happened, um, which is going to be the catalyst for the Trump campaign to launch a number of lawsuits in Pennsylvania, um, Wisconsin, definitely, possibly Michigan and Arizona, is that the Republican poll watchers, so people that the Republican who they volunteer, they go in and they just, you know, keep keep the counters honest, you know, just keep an eye on everything, check the ballots, check that they're signed properly, etc. They were not allowed to watch the absentee count by which I mean they were allowed in, but they were forced to stand about 30 feet away, um, where of course you can't, you can't see anything if you're standing 30 feet away from anything. So none of them got to see hundreds of thousands of ballots as they were counted. Um, and as Rudy Giuliani said, he's never seen anything like that because by law, they are allowed to witness the count and keep to witness the count and keep everyone honest. And they had one of the poll watchers there talking about it. And the, the excuse that he was given, the one in Philadelphia, he said they made some sort of excuse about how we couldn't interfere with the process and also COVID. But you don't need to stand 30 feet away from people to not get COVID. I mean, we all know social distancing, what's it about, you know, six feet, I think is the requirement in the USA. That's like social distancing, distancing, <laughs> if you're having to stand 30 feet away from people. So the integrity of those late ballots in terms of how they were counted is really gonna be called into question. Um, you know, there were reports of windows being boarded up in Detroit, Michigan in polling stations so no one could see in. There were reports of in Arizona, a number of voters were handed Sharpies to fill in their ballot papers, which of course compromises the ballot and makes the ballot invalid. So all of that I believe is being looked into as well. There is some shady stuff going on here and I just can't imagine how stressed and frustrated Donald Trump is right now. My goodness me. So Daisy, I'm getting the impression you think there's a bit to play out on this. You think there's gonna the, the legal challenges are gonna unearth a little bit of uh, tomfoolery. What, what, what did Greg Sheridan call it? Shenanigans. Shenanigans. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I think there's going to be a lot to play out. And the thing is, it would be the Democrats will do the same. The Democrats will throw lawsuit, lawsuits around as well. And we knew that was going to happen anyway, because the Democrats never accepted the result of the 2016 election, for goodness sake. You know, they're certainly not going to be um, accepting this result. But um, I don't, the thing is, I don't blame Donald Trump and the Trump campaign for being suspicious about these these sort of you know ballots miraculously appearing in Michigan at 4 a.m. You know what I mean? And in, in Wisconsin, and there was actually a report um, in the uh, I think well, what was it? Oh, there was a paper. In, <laughs> I'll look it up. Um, there was a paper reporting in um, 
the middle of the city in Wisconsin, um, that found that in Milwaukee, there were a number of polling stations that reported more votes turned in than there were registered voters in those areas. So very like odd stuff going on there. Um, so I don't blame Donald Trump from be, for being suspicious about this, just when you consider the history, like the last four years, the Democrats have undermined him at every turn. They've lied, they've cheated, they've impeached him over something that absolutely should not have constituted and caused for impeachment. There was the, the Steele dossier, you know, the, the Russian collusion, Russian collusion. They've accused him of, of not ever condemning white supremacy, which is blatantly false. You can, there's a track on YouTube that is literally three minutes of Donald Trump condemning white supremacy. Like it's right there for people to watch. They have lied, they have cheated, they have smeared, they've smeared his like supporters as if we should give the benefit give them the benefit of the doubt that they're going to play fair at this election because like, i guarantee you they're not do you reckon there is anything to like uh i mean i watched that same eric trump and rudy giuliani thing basically yeah detailing philadelphia's long history of voter fraud but do you reckon like i mean there is a chance that donald trump still wins philadelphia sorry pennsylvania and comes back in arizona do you reckon it's that smart for them to be saying look there's voter fraud look there's uh problems with how these are being counted when he might still win no, I think it was I think it was the right thing to do because I think they're quite they're confident that they're going to win but now what they can do now is kind of stand on principle and say we're going to expose all of this once and for all which is you know of course what they're saying because if there is voter fraud going on and if the democrats have been cheating um it needs to be exposed and now of course you know uh, Donald Trump he's got a big conservative majority on the Supreme Court. A number of them are constitutional originalists, so they interpret the Constitution as is. And I believe I was reading this morning in the Constitution, there is a provision for election day. So votes on election day. So what he can possibly argue is that um, counting all these late ballots is actually unconstitutional because the Constitution um, count, you know, it provides for one day. The Democrats will dispute that quite fairly, you know, in all fairness and say, well, a vote is a vote. So there is legal ground to be covered there. Um, but I, I think the Trump camp has, is, I think they're just fed up. I think they are fed up with the underhanded tactics and they know how close it's going to be. I mean, it was re reported um, in Arizona, there was a reporting error where they said, I think 96 or something percent of the vote had been counted when actually it was only about 86%. And so the Trump's lead, uh, uh, Biden's lead shrank overnight and the Trump campaign is now predicting they'll win it between about 10,000 and 30,000 votes. Um, so there's a lot of stuff going on there. I don't, act I don't think it was the wrong thing to do. I think it's very typically Trump and what he's doing is setting the groundwork sort of in the minds of the public um, so that perhaps they're not so shocked when they all go ahead and litigate. So, Daisy, it was a crazy day yesterday and it's still going. What was the most surprising moment for you? We saw Californians vote to maintain Uber's deregulated status. We saw lots of states vote in uh, the legalization of marijuana. We saw a dead guy get elected. What was the most surprising thing for you? Well, the dead guy getting elected was up there. That that was up there. pretty. I mean, he only died very recently, poor thing, in October of COVID. So uh, it was a very, very recent, but still interesting to see a, a dead gentleman um, get elected. Look, what um, surprised me actually was how well um, the Republicans did in the 
I mean, they haven't reclaimed a majority, but they managed to knock off quite a number of House Democrats, um, which is incredibly valuable. Um, you know, in in the scheme of things, you know how much trouble the House has caused them in terms of faffing around and trying to impeach everyone, and they'll continue to do that if Donald Trump wins the presidency. Um, what was, you know, what really, and it shouldn't have surprised me, but it still did because I still have too much faith in news organizations. Why didn't they call Florida sooner? It was evident for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours that Donald Trump was going to going to win Florida. But no, but they Fox News called Arizona before they called Florida, for goodness sake. And it, it was so exposing. The media was so anti-Trump. They were so desperate for Trump not to win Florida that even when like over 99% of the votes were counted, it's like, yeah, Trump is ahead. He's got a good margin. There aren't enough to make it up. No, they still refuse to call it. The New York Times... And I know this because I was on a live stream while they did it at sort of, you know, 4 p.m. in the afternoon our time, which is about 1 a.m. Eastern. They literally didn't call Florida until 1 a.m. So that that surprised me. It shouldn't have surprised me, but it did. I thought that was very interesting. I want to stay in Florida for this next one, because one thing that has taken a lot of people by surprise is how well Trump managed to do among minority communities, uh, especially Hispanics who turned up, especially in Florida, uh, voting for him in record numbers, especially compared to last time. It does seem that fostering this idea that anyone that votes Trump is a racist and that all of these minority groups vote as one block has been defeated. Oh, completely. I was um, so excited by how well he did with Hispanics and also also black men. And the thing is, the Republicans have sort of been courting Hispanics and black men over the last little while. Um which is, I, I, I did some research on this before the election. A lot of black men especially feel like the Democrat party has either ignored them or taken them for granted. And I think that is 100% true. And we saw that with Joe Biden, for goodness sake, when he said, if you haven't figured out if you're voting for me or Trump, then you ain't black. And then there was another comment where he said that, oh, there's lots of diversity of opinion in the Hispanic community, but you know, black voters all think the same as effective words, words to that effect. That's absolutely a major party taking a demographic for granted and it, and it stinks. And so, you know, Donald Trump, he courted them with the platinum plan, um, for instance, you know, he's uh, with, um, dumping billions of dollars into black businesses. Um, he wants to declare the KKK and Antifa terrorist organizations. So Trump, he really did an awful lot um, to court the black vote and it paid off. And certainly the in Florida with the Hispanics, well, the Cubans and the Venezuelans shouldn't have a and don't have a bar of the democrats because they all hate socialism so much you know cubans and venezuela they, they come from socialist dictations dictatorships they go to america to enjoy wonderful freedom and wonderful capitalism they don't want people like alexandra ocasio cortez talking about how she's a democratic socialist and the green new deal and all of that no of course not um so and even Alexandra ocasio-cortez who i like to call red cortez because she's a con well, she's not actually a communist but red cortez <laughs> fits her, I think. Um, even she tweeted about it and said, look, yeah, with the Democratic Party, we really kind of need to do something about Latino voters because they, they shifted. Um, so that is great for the Republicans. And as you say, completely, you know, debunks this idea that if you vote for a Trump, you're an angry white man and racist and that's it. Yeah, I sort of mentioned earlier on the show that the white men was the only demographic that that he lost votes on since 2016. Um, 
Um, you did mention the reason why he's, uh, one of the reasons why Hispanics voted for Trump down in Florida was because they know what a socialist country looks like. Now, you are obviously a very popular young people, a great communicator. Are there lessons in that for how to talk to young people about the dangers of socialism and about um, you know, the glory of the free market and freedom and all those things that we love here at the Young IPA podcast? Well, I just think that the what socialism is has sort of been really um, subverted in the minds of young people. They just have no idea what socialism actually is. And it's it's even true in Australia. You know, have all these sort of millennials and Zoomers talking about how they want to live in a socialist country and socialism is good. But they think that socialism is like the system they have in, say, Denmark, you know, Scandinavia, which is um, very high taxes and a very well-maintained welfare state, but a, a market-driven capitalist economy. But that's not socialism. That's what you, I guess you call, you know, there's social Democrats over there. And it works for them in those areas because they're small, you know, there's small masses of land, small populations, and every, also everyone has sort of, you know, roughly the same level of education. It's a very sort of homogenous population in that way. So of course, that's going to do well. You want to apply that to a country as big as Australia with 25 million people, oh God, the USA, can you imagine them trying to put in big government policies in America with 325 million people, half of whom are, you know, have a fundamentally different um, idea of what the role of government should be, it'd be an absolute disaster. So what young people think socialism is, is this sort of wonderful, you know, government funded paradise where nobody has to work too hard, etc. Whereas, as we know, socialism technically is was designated as the non violent period of time before or they transitioned to communism via violent revolution. And it, it led to the deaths of about 100 million people in the 20th century. It led to nothing but misery, starvation, and poverty and violence wherever it's been tried. And more to the point, it's never worked. But you have people like um, Bernie Sanders, of course, and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who spin this narrative of democratic socialism and how it's all power to the people. It's like, no, you are lying to young people. You are duping them and seducing them to get them on side when really socialism is about, obviously it's about control more than anything else and it has never worked. So I think the way to get to young people is to just explain that to them. You know, young people aren't stupid. If they had someone just explaining to them what socialism actually is and what they're actually advocating for, I think they'd be very receptive to it. James, if I could just, sorry, jump in here, mate. It seems like a good moment to plug the fact that Generation Liberty have just put out a video called What I Wasn't Told About Socialism, which of course talks about all the things that Daisy just mentioned. Jump on Generation Liberty Instagram, Facebook, the Generation Liberty website, or on Twitter. Check it out. Join Generation Liberty. It uh, has a number of really good facts that you should send to your socialist mate. James, fire away, mate. Peter Gregory, marketing genius as always. Now, this question, uh, this next one might age terribly in the few days' time, but one thing I noticed was in the lead up to the election, a lot of storefronts were boarding up their shops going, okay, we're a bit worried that there might be violence if Trump wins. Now, at the moment of recording, it does look like Biden is going to win. As you say, it is pretty contentious, some of the votes. I haven't seen any violence so far. So does this whole narrative that like, oh, there's these right-wing militia groups, you know, this stand by and stand down kind of idea, that kind of gets defeated a bit. 
Well, it was the violence. It doesn't come from the right. That's the thing. Those sort of right-wing militia groups, as as the leftists call them, like the Proud Boys and Patriot Prayer, were formulated as a reaction to left-wing violence. Is sort of circa 2016. That's when they um, were instigated. Sort of around the the kind of the Portland area, which is very very left-wing and very violent. And that, of course, is the home of the Rose City Antifa, which has been around since sort of 2008. Um, so th this whole idea that the media span, that it's right-wing militia groups who are causing this violence is, is demonstrably false because there is simply so much video evidence and live streaming of the riots that have gone on for the last three or four months in the USA. And it's, it's, it's the, the people who are antagonizing the violence that in the vast majority of cases are Black Lives Matter rioters and Antifa and other sort of affiliated left-wing groups. So the rioting was really, you know, predicted to happen from the left if Trump won, you know, not sort of a, a right-wing kind of celebration. It was leftists, thousands and thousands and tens of thousands of them predicted to go en masse onto the city streets and smash everything up. Um, my opinion is that they'll do that anyway, even if Biden wins, because they won't like the fact that Trump isn't sort of sitting down meekly and crying and saying, oh, fine, you know, and conceding. They'll do it. And also, they're just they're violent, bad people. OK, the people going to bad, violent people going to violent. Um, the reason this was suggested to me actually on my live stream, the reason they haven't yet, I think, is because they won't do it while they're still counting votes. And they certainly weren't going to do it while the polls were still open because that shoots themselves in the foot aside from anything else. If they're messing with the polling stations and messing with, with you know, while the count's going on, well, that could be detrimental to the Democrats as well. But, you know, I, I reckon um, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna see rioting. Maybe not yet, but we'll see it down the track. So uh, James asked Greg Sheridan a really good question, which I think we should ask you as well. Let's assume that Trump loses, which he probably will at this stage. What happens next? Greg Sheridan said maybe he'll start up a TV network for four years and then run again in four years' time. Uh, does he just retire and play golf? What do you reckon he does if he loses? Well, yeah, I mean, if if he loses, and it is it is still a big if, um, if he loses, I, I think he'll remain visible i think he'll remain visible as a commentator i mean he's he'll he'll go back to his businesses and television network hey he might oprah has her own but i i think it's too early at this point to be talking about him losing i mean last i checked he was still ahead in pennsylvania he's he's claimed for himself already pennsylvania georgia north carolina the republicans are predicting that he wins arizona so if he somehow and pennsylvania like he could lose it but it, it's going to be extremely close if he hangs on to Pennsylvania, North Carolina, Georgia, and either Nevada or Arizona, then he gets over the 270 to win. And the thing is, in, in Nevada, at last the count was updated, Trump was only 8,000 votes behind. That's extremely close. And going into the election, the, RC, the real politics average for Nevada, Biden was only 2.2 points ahead, like well within most of the margins of errors. So he doesn't even need both Arizona and Nevada. He, need, he just needs one or the other. So the path of victory to victory for Donald Trump is there. And it's, it's extremely clear. And it's, it's really, it's quite simple, really. But it will, it will just depend on Pennsylvania. If he loses Pennsylvania, it's probably all over. Um, unless he miraculously somehow manages to get Arizona and Nevada. But, you know, Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania is the keystone state. I think it is too early just yet to be predicting a Biden victory. Wouldn't be surprised if it happens. But Trump still has a couple of a couple of paths to victory up, in, up his sleeve. Daisy Cousins, always a pleasure. Check her out on her YouTube page and watch her on Sky News. Thanks for your time. Thank you so much, Kim.
Okay, thank you to Greg Sheridan and Daisy Cousins. Really fun interviews. So, uh, yeah, we'll just wrap this show up quickly. We've got one more story we want to talk about, then Quick Heroes and Villains, and then we are getting out of here, and we'll see you on Tuesday. So, Pete, what's, uh, what's this big story? Yeah, not an election story that we'll talk about in more depth on a later date, but I just wanted to briefly mention it because it was last week, uh, and it's a big win for the IPA and a big win for academic freedom in Australia, the introduction of the Higher Education Support Amendment Freedom of Speech Bill 2020 into the House of Reps by the Federal Government Education Minister Dan Tehan, uh, which introduces a definition of academic freedom uh, in line with the recommendations by former High, Ke- High Court Chief Justice, the Honourable uh, Robert French. So what that means is that... Um, Universities in Australia will have to protect academic freedom more stringently in their uh, operations and in their dealing with staff. And it means something like what happens to Peter Ridd won't be able to happen again if it passes. So this is a big win for the IPA and a really great move by the coalition. And as I said, we'll talk about it more at a later date. Um, but a great a great news story. Awesome. Uh, let us go into the Heroes and Villains section. Obviously, heroes, we're on the big freedom snore. People have stood up for freedom and liberty around the world this week. Pete, who is your hero? My hero, James, this is a good one. So these are, these are not also related to the American election, but my hero this week is 64-year-old Alexandra Wong, who is a woman in Hong Kong um, who is famous for being part of the Hong Kong pro-democracy protests for waving a British flag um, and supporting democracy in Hong Kong. She's affectionately known by the protesters and, and indeed... Uh, around the world to some extent as Grandma Wong. She was arrested last year by the CCP. She was in jail for 14 months, um, kept in a cell with 16 other women and monitored by police officers 24 hours a day. And she's just an inspiration, James, because she's you know an elderly lady and she could easily just go, well, this is not my problem anymore. But she is absolutely committed to freedom and democracy and all those things. Her first protest was pro Tiananmen Square rallies in Hong Kong in 1989. Um, she spent time in different parts of the world, including mainland China, and she said why in some places people live so happily and people and places like the countryside on the man- mainland are so miserable. And my favorite bit, she says she's not going to stop protesting. And my favorite bit that she said is, it's impossible for me to be quiet. I'm ready to go to jail again. So what a courageous lady and an inspiration for all of us who care about liberty and democracy. Camera, uh, Grandma Wong, you are my absolute hero this week. Keep going. Very cool. All right. Uh, my hero of the week, so... Britain about to go back into lockdown. That was the very disappointing news from last week. If I can do a bit of a flex here, uh, check my article out in the UK Telegraph, basically Oof. warning Britain Big from time. Victoria what three months of stage four lockdown will do to a place. But uh, I'm not my own hero this week. Uh, that would be ridiculous <laughs> and inaccurate. But the person who is my hero, uh, Sir Charles Walker, was is a British Conservative ME, uh, member of Parliament who said this in the House of Commons. Charles Walker. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker, I will not be supporting the government's legislation on Wednesday because as we drift further into an authoritarian, coercive state, the only legal mechanism, the only legal mechanism left open to me is to vote against that legislation. I said on the show before that the the weirdest thing uh, about like what classical liberals like myself and Pete and is the idea that we want smaller government but more politicians and this is exactly why because in the British Parliament even Boris Johnson's own party is absolutely giving it to him on the House of Commons about lockdown when compared to Australia uh, when there's only 75, 76 members of a government and 30 of them are in the ministry everyone can feel like I'm a stone's throw away from a very well-paid job at any moment I'm not going to rock the boat and 
ask some uh, interesting questions. People like Sir Charles Walker just go, I'm not anywhere near leadership. I'm going to represent the people that voted for me and I am going to give it to Boris Johnson right now about lockdown. This is just why you need more politicians. Like, less power, but more politicians. Yeah, principled, principled um, outspoken backbenchers is a feature of the British system that I really enjoy. So, great one, James. All right. Now, uh, Villain of the Week, the fake, the Extinction Rebellion fake nudie run Villain of the Week, roll the tape, Muskie. As Extinction Rebellion protests enter their sixth day. That is a fake nudie run. That's why we call anyone who acts against liberty or freedom for the week a villain, a fake... Uh, Extinction Rebellion, fake nudie run villain. James, who's your villain? Uh, so a video of a senior health official in the US state of Oregon wearing a clown costume for a coronavirus right. briefing is widely being shared on social media. This is, uh, I think we've got the image playing, so apologies to people just listening at home. But, uh, you know, coronavirus press conferences are not supposed to be fun. And I get we're coming up to Halloween and people want to dress up, but the worst one you could dress up as when you're announcing people's deaths is a clown because... I mean, then you were going to be seen as a clown. And I, I, I just genuinely don't get the play. This is just as bad as earlier this month, the Chicago mayor dressing up as the Rona Destroyer, which is a superhero designed to destroy coronavirus, despite the fact that Chicago's problem was spiraling out of control. Like, I'm kind of torn because on one hand, don't dress up as a clown when you're announcing people's deaths. But on the other hand, could we have saved ourselves a bunch of press conferences if it was mandatory that if you are going to give a press conference about coronavirus, you had to dress up as a clown? Because then Daniel Andrews would never have done as many as he did. That's an interesting thought, James. That would have been better. Uh, yeah, I reckon a suit for that person doing the uh, doing the thing would have been good. Just a bit of business attire. Um, so, is that all? Do you have any more of that, James? That's, that's all I've got. Okay, my villain is Vic Pohl yet again. So this is, I should clarify, you know, I, I get that it's really hard to be a police officer and this is aimed more at the senior ranks of Vic Pohl rather than the rank and file. But David Limbrick had an Instagram post over the weekend, uh, or it might have been actually earlier this week rather than the weekend, where he said that he was the only... Pro- Tuesday. Uh, the only- yep, Tuesday Cup Day. So he was the only politician that was at the Black Lives Matters protests here in Victoria and at the anti-lockdown protests on Tuesday and he just noted the massive discrepancy with, with the way protesters were treated at Black Lives Matters uh, compared to the anti-lockdown protest. I will quote him now. Police forced us all into crowded spaces where social distancing was impossible. They wouldn't allow anyone to leave. Uh, include, uh, just they took everyone away one by one to process. We were like cattle, herded like cattle for hours. I witnessed young women break down with panic attacks and an old man get treated heavy-handed because he wanted to go to the toilet. When we asked for water, this is the middle of a pandemic, by the way, James, where the reason these protests can't happen is because it might restart the uh, COVID pandemic. When we asked for water, they found a bucket and dipped cups in it and handed them out to us. Uh, gross, That's he safe. says. That's safe. Yeah, so it's like, so we're going to bunch all these people together. Uh, if they've got COVID, we're just going to increase the chances of them giving it to each other and we're going to share cups. So... Uh, great stuff and that's completely different to what to the way they treated Black Lives Matters it's completely uh, in keeping with how they treated Lauren Southern and Milo Yiannopoulos when they charged them to have their because their events were attacked by left-wing rioters um, you just can't get away from the fact that the police are political in this state and we should keep mentioning it every time it happens because it's an absolute disgrace the police should be impartial but they're not um, a friend of mine shared a poster that there's going to be a climate rally in Edinburgh Gardens, which is a very, uh, for people outside of Melbourne, it's a very like young area. So be very interesting to see if that climate rally gets some traction, yeah. what, how that's going to be traded. Be very interesting indeed. 
And of course, we keep having, we had Black Lives Matters and there were no cases linked to Black Lives Matters. And we've had, we had the Black Lives Matters all around Australia and we've had anti-lockdown protests in Melbourne every week for weeks. And we still, you can absolutely guarantee that the government would attribute cases to them if they possibly could. And the fact we haven't means that I have no problem with that uh, environmental rally going ahead. Um, it's just, it's just once again, whether it gets treated differently will be yet another example of, I'm sure we'll be talking about this again next week, James. That is it for the show this week. Thank you to uh, Greg Sheridan and Daisy Cousins. Some really fun interviews. Uh, yeah, wild, wild, wild day yesterday. And hopefully by Tuesday, we'll have a bit more of a like concrete idea of what the next four years are going to look like, but I doubt it. Anyway, thank you to, thank you for listening. If you are listening through Apple Podcasts, make sure you're leaving us that review. Tell your friends and family about the show. We're available wherever they listen to podcasts. And uh, you spreading the word is the best way of marketing that we have. So please get out there and do it. Uh, if you like this podcast, we've got a bunch of other ones here at the IPA. We've got Looking Forward. That comes out every week. I think there's an episode out today as well. So if you uh, thought Pete and I could have just been a bit more informed in our election coverage, they'll have all of that. They're going to be talking about what's going to happen in the Philadelphia court systems as well. IPA with you comes out on Fridays. It's going to be looking at what life is like here in Victoria's lockdown. And we've got some really fun episodes of five favorite books coming up. Viral banter with all of our generation Liberty, uh, with all of our campus coordinators at universities around Australia, talking about what issues matter to students. And then we've got a bunch of uh, other podcasts back in the tanks. So IPA has got this very popular growing podcast network. Get involved. See you guys next week. See ya.